And when we got there, I actually had my wall up when we met Gabriella because I thought there's still three days. This may not be my mm-hmm. child. So I was very, I don't think I bonded true. I, I appreciated that it was a baby, but I was not giving my heart right. yet. My big thing was I didn't know if I could love a child that wasn't mine. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate. A dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. You are listening to Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian with Couples Synergy. I am Dr. Ray. And I am Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Check us out online at www.couplesynergy.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experiences with working with thousands of couples for over 15 years. Because we know we are more similar than different, and so we've created not only an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where couples come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Erica and Brian. Hello and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on our podcast and tell your story. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And your story is a very interesting one, and it aligns with the topic of our podcast today, and that is... Infertility. Infertility. And adoption. And adoption. Mm -hmm. So before we get to that, why don't you both tell us a little bit about yourselves? You know, how old are you? What do you guys do for a living? Well, I'm uh, 45 and uh, an insurance broker in Chicago. I've been uh, in the Chicago area all my life, born and raised. And you're cute. Oh, okay. I'm uh, (laughs) going to be 42 soon. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I was a non-practicing attorney for some time. And uh, now I am happily home with our two girls. Awesome. So tell us the story about how you guys met. We met at a bar. We met in a bar in (laughs) Chicago, of course. Of course, yeah, I was... How old were you back then? 29. I was 29. I was 27. And it was a chance meeting. place where I was working downtown, there was a bar, kitty corner from my office... And I had gone there probably a week, uh, two weeks, no, probably, probably two, three weeks before. I would go there on Fridays after work pretty regularly and got to know some of the barflies there. And this one particular Friday was a, a rough week at work. And so I said, you know what, before I go home, I'm going to stop in and have a quick drink and just uh, decompress a little bit and see how my my friends there were doing. So I, I walk in the, the bar and as I have told my wife, the crowd parted and uh, <laughs> heavenly lights shone from above onto her beautiful angelic face and I made my way through the crowd and found my friends who were sitting by her and as it turned out she is the cousin of one of the people who I, I knew at, at the bar there and so we were introduced and I uh, she it turns out she was in town for the weekend visiting her cousin who who's my friend that I know there in the bar with my suitcase yeah just yeah, got, yeah she just got, there. Just got <laughs> off, the plane, off the plane fresh yes. off the plane and she had her, her suitcase with her um, which is an important detail mm. of, of the story all right which I'm going to get to in a moment so we you know we, we sat at the bar we had some drinks we, we talked a little bit and uh, I found her to be very delightful and interesting uh, she had a job where uh, she was traveling about what 300 days a year thereabout yeah. to all sorts of all sorts of places you know domestic uh, overseas 
And I found that to be very interesting. And we had a, a, what I thought was a very good conversation that evening. So we closed down the, the bar. Uh, it's, it's me, Erica, her cousin, Cindy, and um, her, Cindy's boyfriend. Cindy asked me if I want to join them for dinner. The next day? No, that <laughs> night. That, that night? That night, yeah. I mean, it, it, since this was a downtown bar, it closed like around uh, 8 o'clock. Oh, okay. So, so okay. It, was, it was still relatively early. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm tired. I, I don't know. You know, do I want to... I want to go out to dinner. Or oh, I you want to, knew you wanted to go out to dinner. I'm, uh, <laughs> right. So I, I, I said yes. Uh, but no, but it, it's an important part of the story that I didn't know if I wanted to go to dinner that night. Just let me tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> I tell the story that I want to tell the story. <laughs> all right. So we decide, all right, I say yes, well, I'll, I'll join you guys for dinner. So we go to dinner at a restaurant called Anna Maria Pastoria. Let me tell you. She was in for the weekend. She packed like she was going to be there for three weeks. Right. This suitcase was heavy. It wasn't and a carry-on. It wasn't a carry-on. And one of the wheels was broke, so I couldn't roll it. I had to carry this thing all across the city of Chicago because I was being a gentleman. I wanted to, you know, impress, impress the lady. her. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So we go. We have dinner. Uh, very nice time. So then we went back to Cindy's apartment, which was close by, and we had a great time. We were having uh, drinks and listening to uh, monster ballads of the monster 80s. Monster ballads. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Like poison. And yeah, poison, yes. right? You Motley. Know, warrant. Murder. Yeah, all that, all that stuff, you know. And then I went home. We had plans to meet the next night and, you know, hang out again. So, hold on. Yeah. On okay. Friday. Oh, yeah, right. Like, are you guys, like... Oh, just she, all casual, or are you like... No, she couldn't keep her hands off me. We may not a little bit. First night? The we first like night. I was just kissing. Uh, His uh, hand on my knee and we kissed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I... He played coy. Pre- I pretended to be coy when, when I wasn't, and, and I kind of tricked her into... Yeah. Thinking he was a gentleman. So, so what I and this is the move I used. Okay? This is, so, you know, for, for your, you know, if you Listeners, have any single yeah. guys out there. Oh, yeah. Would, would say something and jokingly put my hand on her knee and then I, I, I take it off like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, <laughs> you know. and, and it worked. It worked. You know, because, you know, cause I was like, oh, yeah. Okay, oh, and then I take it away like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to invade your space. You just, to be clear, irresistible. just to be clear, we do not endorse any type of <laughs> aggressive acts. In any <laughs> but it's, it, wasn't, it was passive aggressive. Okay. <laughs> How was that night for you, Erica? Oh, it was totally different. <laughs> oh, Long story short, I was in town because I had just broken up with a guy. Was very down, wanted a girls only weekend. I didn't know that. You knew. You that. never told me that. You Welcome that. to the podcast. <laughs> you knew. And I was coming to visit my cousin for an all girls all girls weekend. She didn't tell me that she had a new boyfriend and she wanted him to go out with us that night. So without asking me, she invited Brian to go out to dinner with us. And I had nothing against him. He was a very nice guy. But I was very anti-man at the time. I was so just still angry about the, like, three-day-old breakup. Turned out he was a really nice guy. And he did carry my suitcase (laughs) for the city. And I bought you dinner. And it was a carry-on. He bought me dinner. But then the next night, when we were supposed to get together, he stood me up. I did not. He showed up very late at night as an apology, but he stood me up. I had a dinner. I told you I had a dinner. <laughs> Allegedly. And it and it went it went long. I raced down 
the uh, the Eisenhower, the 290. I was I was doing at some point 100 miles an hour coming from the west Again, suburbs. Again, we do not endorse <laughs> do reckless not. driving. No, no. <laughs> because I was coming from the west suburbs and I knew I had to get downtown to hang out with her and see her again. I made it downtown. I show up and uh, and we you know just picked up where we left off basically. And we did go on another date the next night, the day after. This is and Sunday now, right? This is yes. into Sunday, right? And she I was, was leaving to, Monday. I was supposed to go home. No, I was supposed and, to go home And where Sunday. was home? Oh. St. Louis. Okay. I was living in St. Louis. And I had a travel job. I was supposed to go home Sunday. I stayed without calling in. You're supposed to call in. Oh. But you never get put on a trip last minute. You know your schedule. And then I got a call Monday morning. Almost lost my job. <laughs> <laughs> you stayed because of Brian. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. I really like we had like a really cool connection. Like it was It was it was different from anything else. Anything that I remember having with anybody else. Anymore. It was like a family member at first. Like there was still passion, but there was mm-hmm. this Yeah, let's not get weird. No, <laughs> but it was like a real comfort. A, a really strange comfort. Like we'd always known each right. other. Right. It was like we always knew each other. Right. Yeah. And, and that's Yeah. What so I after told I went me. back home I uh I took the LSAT immediately. Quit my job and moved to Chicago to be near. To him. be in, yeah, she went to law school. But quit, not in, in together. No, no, no. we, okay. well, actually, we had a long distance relationship for, for a, year. a year. Okay. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, and where, where she would, was still on this traveling job. And You'd um, meet me at like the Indy 500 yeah, or meet me, yeah. you know, at different places. So I, I'd meet her at, at, you know, different places in, uh, you know, fairly close proximity. It, it, long distance relationships are hard. Very. Okay. Yeah, we, we actually had a couple on that, that had a long-distance relationship also. Yeah. And they had to make that decision about who was moving, yep. you know, where and when. It, when did you know that you guys were a couple? I, I would say a few months. It was such a heavy phone relationship. Like oh, all we hours would, we of would, the night telling would, our life story on the phone. And we would talk for hours. Were you guys already exclusive? Yes. Yeah, I wasn't seeing anyone. Yeah, I, I don't I, think I we wasn't. said we were exclusive. Like we didn't make the mm-hmm. vow of, of exclusivity, mm-hmm. but we were. Right, because I, I, I was. well, and and I was. I mean, I, I no more I wasn't, surprises. I wasn't seeing anybody at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like kind of coy about it, and one night on the phone saying, "I think I love you," just like testing the. I knew I did, wow. but I wanted to yeah. test the waters. How and, far into the relationship was that? I'd say three or four months. Yeah. Um, well, and and I knew because. My birthday was in June. She was supposed to come up to Chicago for my birthday, and you didn't, right? Yeah, that job. Like, yeah, they'll right, spring you on the right, last right. minute, send you to Alaska. Yeah. Like, you just don't know. She couldn't make it, but she sent me flowers and a teddy bear. It felt terrible. And that, that, that's when I knew, yeah, that she was, she was special, and, you know, she wanted to let me know that she was thinking about me, she was sorry that she couldn't make it. It was funny because there were, like, yellow flowers with lemons in there and a teddy bear, and it you know, life gives yeah, when well, life gives you lemons, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, make lemonade. So that yeah. was, yeah, that was kind of cute. What was it about the other person that you fell in love with? I just, I liked her independence, I guess, and, and her her wit and her sense of humor and her looks. I mean, she's beautiful. For me, it sounds, I guess, a little cliche at first, but the kindness, the kindest, not just man, but one of the kindest people I've ever met. Very conscientious, thoughtful you know, even to this day, opening doors for me. And I feel like he's always thinking of me before him. And I always felt that way. Loyalty, the, the loyalty he has to his family and friends is something else. Um, and you're cute. 
thank you. And despite like the kindness and the sweetness, has a great dirty sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you guys um, live together before you got married? Very briefly. Very briefly. And the reason we did was because her lease was up and we asked her parents if they would. Yeah, I come uh, from mind. a Catholic family, so I called my dad. Yeah. And, mm. you know, he knew we were engaged, obviously loved Brian. Yeah. Um, and he actually kind of laughed and had that. I didn't realize it made such a big impression on you that you would even think to call and ask my permission. But, but yeah, we asked permission and yeah. he said, sure. Because it was, I mean, it was three, four months before mm-hmm. our, right. our wedding. Right. So how long were you dating before you got engaged? About four years. Almost five years. And how did you yeah. guys make that decision? To get married? Or? Yeah, to wait. Why? Or when you got married? When you I got was, engaged? I, I was a little bit of a nag. I'm like, when are we getting married? Well, yeah. <laughs> after, after after three years, then then she started putting the pressure on. Yeah. I and I actually worked it out so that she asked me out to dinner, and that's where I popped the question. And it was at Anna Maria Pastoria, the for the restaurant where we went on, when we first nice. met. Oh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> In your relationship now, how would you guys say you, you resolve conflict? You know, conflict is inevitable. It comes up in every relationship. But right. how do you guys have learned to resolve that? I think for the most part, for me anyways, I don't sweat the small stuff. You know, that's, maybe that sounds cliche. But and that's it, probably it, what sometimes gets me upset. Well, right. Yeah. And because, <laughs> you don't. Because I, I, <laughs> well, I, I don't sweat the small stuff. And to me, it's all small stuff. Okay. Because, I mean, I don't care about money. I don't care about houses or cars or anything. I, I care about the family and, and making sure that everybody's happy and healthy. And, you know, and, and everything else is just gravy, basically. So I, I don't. I, but I mean, we do have fights now and then. We have arguments. Not a lot. No, not a lot. But we, but, we have know. arguments. But I think that is a. A very uh, probably like a frustrating thing that happens where I want to fight. I want to. Yeah, she. she does. Can you yeah. talk more about that? I think sometimes when he's not arguing back or fighting back, I take it as he doesn't care. Mm. When yeah. you do care, you just don't care to fight. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to fight about it. He doesn't want to rock the mm-hmm. boat. Doesn't right. want to. And I do because I want to. Want to know that he cares. I want to know that I'm heard. And you feel you know that kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I'm important enough to yeah go to town for yeah and I will say when we do I mean when we do have really tough moments of conflict usually if it's serious it ends up I'm not a big crier but if I cry that's when you really step up and become very let's talk this out you know in in the work we do with couples um, they kind of look at couples who avoid conflict and they used to think that was a problem but they know it's not at all anymore except if you have a problem and you don't have like a blueprint of how to get through it mm-hmm. but it sounds like you guys do like you you know when you hit that level right and you're showing your emotion that you like step up and be like all right i'm gonna sit and talk about this now and right yeah so that, that's a really healthy strategy mm-hmm. that's good to know so how old are you guys when you get married i was 31 uh yeah, yeah so i was yeah 33 well, wait. You were 34. 34, yeah, because we, uh, we got married in 2007, so yeah, 30, I was mm-hmm. 34. 31, 34, and yeah. what are your plans for having children at that time? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we wanted to uh, wait maybe a year or two, I think, is what we wanted. He wanted to wait a year or two. <laughs> well, I just thought, you know, hey, <laughs> let's, you know, let, let's enjoy each other. Right. You know, no, I, I, was, do, I was okay with things. it. I was eager, but okay with it. Yeah, so, well, no, actually, I think what it was was, Whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do anything. To, we're, we're not going to do anything to prevent it. No, that was after the first year. 
Okay, all right. We were preventative okay. the first year. Yeah. So yeah, so then then we said, hey, whatever happens, happens, and uh, and nothing happened uh, for many and then, years. Well, and then then we decided to become more active in trying, Timing. and and that was like a job. I gotta say, mm-hmm. it, it was it was very stressful. It was very regimented. All right, it's time. Let's go. Let's do it. And it, it, it's really hard to perform under that, that kind mm-hmm. of pressure. Yeah. I don't remember at what point we, we decided to get uh, doctors involved. I think it was at about four years, four or five years. Okay. So you, you were trying to structure things on your own before about four or five years I'd before say for, you had doctors? I'd say for, no, for like a year we protected ourselves. For another two right. years it was whatever happens. Right. And then the next year I think that's when... We're like, okay, let's let's time it and, mm-hmm. and yeah. try to make it happen. Right. And we tried that for about a year and a half to two years. Yeah. yeah, and and that was right around the time that some of our other friends were trying and getting pregnant, and it was it was it was very difficult. I know I know it was very difficult oh, for that, you. Yeah, especially um, once we did actually start trying. Yeah. Uh, fertility mm-hmm. treatments. That's like like every month, you're like, Ugh. everybody's getting pregnant. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. and yeah. you want to be happy for friends, but. But at the same time, it's like oh, you don't want to hear yeah. about it. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Enough already. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're they're popping out their kids and um and it and it affected us uh, emotionally because <laughs> you know then it became well you know we can't hang out with these. Uh, friends anymore because you know they're pregnant or they've got kids and, and or they have know. two-year-olds and they have two-year-olds right. and we have no, nothing in common now because mm, right. they got to go do their two-year-old right. stuff right. together right. so so we we you know missed out a lot or, or you know we, we lost touch with some people all of that creates tension and and depression mm-hmm. um and, and and it's very difficult to there's um, even like a genuine crisis of faith like religiously. oh yeah oh was, i was yeah well i can tell you that uh, because I'm I'm a Catholic uh, too, and I had a a moment where I, I questioned God and got angry at God, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know because I couldn't understand why you know why am I here? What what's the point of me living if I don't have a family to nurture and and like a legacy? And, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, you know mm-hmm. it was a very low point, especially when the fertility wasn't working. Then. We probably took some time off, and then we talked again and decided, well, you know, we still want children. We still want a family. Let's look at adoption. I felt like during it, I think I had more doubts than hopes, whereas I think... So we, are you getting mm-hmm. the injections and the hormones? Oh, yeah, and doing the, the whole shots. IVF, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We did two... First, we did three rounds of... IUI. IUI, and then two rounds of IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, the full shots where you're hormonal and, you know, feeling crazy. But, I mean, we didn't get far in it at all. But I think... Did your insurance cover no. that or were you no. out of pocket? I was just going to say no. That's, no. All, that's all out of pocket. No, that was a huge chunk of money. What was it like at the end? Maybe like 30000 once all is said and done. I mean, yeah. it's, it's brutal. Yeah. I was somewhat hopeful but doubtful. I think you were very hopeful in, at the beginning... It was almost like I felt like he didn't have any doubts, like this is going to work, this mm-hmm. is it. And then when it was failing, I think I was more... Actually, I think I regret that I wasn't there for you. I was so weepy and poor me mm-hmm. and leaning on him and he was so comforting and you know, hugging me and it'll be okay, we'll get through this. I don't think I ever returned that favor when I look back. Mm-hmm. I feel very terrible about that. But it was a tough, tough time. Yeah. Yeah. So you go through that for how long? It was a couple years years, because we took like a year break in between. And my dad was sick at the time. So Mm -hmm. we took a year off before we tried again. 
And then, yeah, when that didn't work, I all along had always, even before infertility, had been very curious about adoption. And then even more so as this started failing. And I feel like you kind of went back and forth in a very honest, you know, very honest concerns about adoption. You know, my, my big thing was I didn't know if I could love a child that wasn't mine. Mm. I didn't know if I could. Right. But I've, I've since learned that, yeah, I can. <laughs> uh, but, but that was my initial Uh, hesitation with Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And this is while we were still going through the Mm -hmm. fertility treatments. And when, after the second IVF failed... We took time off again. We took some time, but I was all for Mm -hmm. continuing and and going for adoption. And and during that time you guys were taking time off, were you talking about adoption between each other or just kind of mulling it over within yourself? More mulling. Yeah, more mulling. Yeah. And then... And I think I, at several times, had asked if he was interested. Mm-hmm. And he still was on the fence. And I would immediately drop it because I knew you can't do this. You can't adopt unless you're both 100% in. Right, right. Um, D- did you have any concerns for yourself? Strangely, no. Okay. I knew, I knew I wanted to be a mom. I knew there was the fear of, because someone else is giving birth to this child, you don't know what they've... If they're drinking, if they're smoking, mm-hmm, if you right. know their health issues, but at the same time you can have your own child and there can be health issues, sure. so mm-hmm. you sure. just deal with it. But I think maybe I was a little too like psychotically gung ho about it. That <laughs> 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 no, I didn't have a lot of concerns. I just knew I couldn't push it until he was on board. Yeah. So how did you guys get to that point where you could decide that? Yep, we're going forward. Mm-hmm. With he this. brought it up. I waited for him to bring it up, yeah. and he did. Yeah, and I was I was ready, and we. Uh, we signed up with an agency, and strangely, and, and this goes back to the whole uh, my, you know, my beliefs and my religion and, and just my belief in, in you know, karma and signs, you know, signs from above mm-hmm. type of thing, and, you know, these coincidences that that happen. It was Christmas one year, and we're down in Florida, and Erica's sister gets a call from a friend of hers who knows a lady whose daughter had a baby. And abandoned the baby in Washington, in a hospital in Washington D.C. And the the friend who's the grandmother of this baby asked her friend, who's the friend of the sister, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. let me draw a diagram here. I need a whiteboard. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you know anybody who is looking to adopt a baby? Oh. I'm like, oh my god, it, it's and this cri- was actually it's Christmas time. And this was before I think we'd done the home study and all of that, wasn't it? Right. right. Yeah. So I'm thinking this is like a sign Christmas from God. Miracle. Yep. Yeah. We, I, I, I dive right into this. I get, I hire two lawyers. I got a lawyer in Chicago. I, I get a lawyer out in uh, the D.C. area. And I'm like, guys, make this happen. Get this child out of the hospital or, or, or by, by this time it was already in, in the system, in, in the foster system out there. Get him over to Chicago. Get him, you know, in our house. Mm-hmm. Let's make this happen. Then we learned just how bad the system is. It okay. It's so is sad. It's so, so sad, sad that here, here, here we are. A couple willing, able to take this child into our home. Mm-hmm. And not only did grandma want us to have the child, but mom, the one who gave birth to the child, turns out she was very nearby in jail and also was willing to consent to us having this child. And so many social workers involved did nothing. All they had to do was go down the street and get her signature. Right. Mm. Nobody did anything. 
they and they basically cut us out of the loop because I guess people fostering wanted the child, blah blah blah. Right. But a lot of money into it, a lot of heartache into sure. it. Yeah. You know, a lot, lot, of, lot of time wasted. A lot of being convinced by attorneys and by grandma yeah. that this is going to happen. This is your child. Yeah. So now we've had failed fertility attempts. Right. right. Failed adoption. A failed mm-hmm. adoption, a private mm-hmm. adoption attempt. And I'm pissed. I am pissed yeah. off. And I'm pissed off at, at God. What do you want from me? What am I doing here? What what is you know? What's the point of all this? It was it was it was bad. It was it was it was a low point in my life emotionally. But it is what it is, and and we you know, we just just well, moved on. And I remember down the road, I found randomly online. I wasn't mm-hmm. looking for anything at the time. It said there was an adoption seminar in Wisconsin. Oh right. right. And so I was like, let's just go. Mm-hmm. And it was a national adoption agency, and we went. And I think it got both of us very excited. Turns out that's not who we ended up adopting from. It's who we were working (laughs) with. But um, it got us really excited about adoption. We did the home study. We filled out the paperwork. We took a class. We had to take a class. Yeah, we made a video. Yep. um, All kinds of stuff. So so you're like selling yourselves to whoever has to choose what happens. Right. Yeah. So we we you know we make out a profile. You and know, it's video. it's amazing the stuff you choose. I mean, it's um, it's not just you know race and what you know we can get into, but it's I mean they list every drug. Are you okay with birth mom doing these drugs? Mm-hmm. It's STDs. It's rape. It's I mean everything you can think of mm-hmm. involved in how a baby's created. You say yes or no. Will you agree to this background type situation? Right. And we agreed to almost anything. Well, except except drugs and alcohol. No, we agreed to a few drugs. Well, even. all right, maybe like like marijuana use, yeah. mm-hmm. but no heroin, no coke, yeah, um, no uh, and no alcohol because alcohol, yeah, is is probably worse than any mm-hmm. of those other drugs when it comes to you know fetal alcohol syndrome, right, right, um, and development, and and development, right, and, and that that was a no, that was a deal breaker for me. But is that because you just you you didn't want to limit your options? Is that why you kind of agreed to most of everything? Right, right. yes. And, and 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 it didn't matter. We we didn't care what the um, the sex of the baby was, and what the uh, uh, race of the baby was. Mm-hmm. That didn't matter. Well, to and us. I will say part of it. We did talk about. We don't know. I mean, we don't have any kind of psychiatric background or psychology or you know mm-hmm. any of that. You know, it's it's a fine line of of what we feel we're capable of doing for a child with special needs. But at the same time, we knew if there was a special needs child, that we'd be willing to take that chance. Like we talked about, you just can't say no to a child. <laughs> you right. know what right. I mean? Right. Right. So we were really very open yeah. to quite a bit. So how long between the time that you guys were fully on board with adoption before you were chosen? A year? Maybe? Yeah, I would say the, the home study takes a long time. You've mm-hmm. got to do a home study. Um, it turns out the the local agency did the home study and they're the ones who found us the child not the national agency right. what are they looking for they want to know everything about you it is pretty much six months of every kind of background check you can have tons of questions i mean it's a yeah, they huge come into stack of paperwork yeah they do three visits to your home yeah. interview you you know basically just legal protection yeah. <laughs> is yeah. what they're yeah. doing you know right. criminal background checks yeah. that sort of thing mm-hmm. and i would say once the home study was complete which takes you know anywhere from five to eight months i think it was only four or five months till we till she said she had a baby for us so well, tell us about that you know well she she had a birth mother. Yeah, that's sorry. Yeah. yeah, and uh, presented it was right her, around the new year. 
right around New Year's or Christmas. Yeah, right. You know, sometime in And she, you know, presented our profile to her and uh, arranged a lunch. So we met the birth mother. One one thing I would say is one of her questions was, "Are you open to African American, Hispanic, or whatever?" Mm-hmm. And we said yes. Mm-hmm. And being that, you know, she does a lot of work in the Chicago area, she immediately said, "You know, if you're open." We've actually got, I mean, it's the the amount of African-American children who are not being adopted is terrifying. It's staggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, wow. and even when, when you talk about costs mm-hmm. for adoption. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And I am so offended by it that at they're, some... They're a discount. At, at, African-Americans are well, at a discounted yeah. price, which is disgusting. It is. It is disgusting. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. if, if I do anything before I leave this earth, I want to do something to change adoption laws laws and yeah. culture mm-hmm. it's, it's just it, it, it's sickening i will say strangely it, for us there was no price difference <laughs> but it's disgusting <laughs> well yeah it's disgusting nonetheless yeah. with the national I mean, agency i mean right. it's a huge gap mm-hmm. and which is basically saying they're unwanted and that's mm-hmm. yeah mm, it's and heartbreaking yeah I, I i don't understand it um, so how far along is the birth mother when you meet her she was seven months yeah, I think we met in December, and she was, she was due in due February. In February. Yeah. So she sees your profile. There's a match. You guys we meet. meet. How was that? It so was. Awkward. It was awkward. So it was awkward. awkward. So we meet at a, a like a one of those family type diner restaurants mm-hmm. yeah. uh, on the south side, um, south suburbs, and conversation was just stilted. It, 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 it's Erica, me, the birth mom, her mom. Her daughter, she she already her had sister, a daughter. Like the family was there. And her there. sister, wow. uh, one of the represent or two representatives from the uh, agency. Yeah, there's a the agency has one person who represents the birth mother and then one who represents the adoptive parents. And the lady from the agency said, "Oh, don't worry, I'll lead the the conversation." She actually mm-hmm. actively said, "Don't ask questions. Let me do that. Let me yeah. lead the conversation." And she was 45 minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> so and let nothing. Let nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but but the birth mom was very sweet. She was uh, at the very time, shy. 20 years old, very shy, and uh, and and we bought him bought him lunch, and and we just. We just and we really didn't talk about the meat of anything. I think other than do you have a name picked out, there was no conversation actually around what we were there to meet for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about Christmas because Christmas had yeah. just happened yeah. and the holidays and small talk, TV, music. Right. Um, there was no actual talk about what, what was going to happen uh, if it happened. Why you were there. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. Do you know if they were also interviewing other people? I don't think so, but we okay. don't know. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, but in any event, decided to go forward, move forward with us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah. for me, I think when we got the call that, oh, she likes you, she's picked you, mm-hmm. which was later that day or the next day, it was right away, yeah. Julie called. Yeah. Um, but from that until the time the baby was born, I think was the most terrifying time of my life because all you hear and read when you're researching adoption is the percentage of birth moms who change their mind after they give birth, which I respect and I understand, but mm-hmm. terrified me. And, right? and they can do that. Right. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, that goes back to my wanting to uh, do something about the, the process is there are laws that protect the birth mother. There are laws that protect the baby, and that, that's all fine. But there is nothing out there 
to protect the uh, the, the, the rights and, and, and uh, the interests of adoptive parents. And mm-hmm. we know people who've lost thousands upon oh, thousands yeah. of dollars because... Because if an adoption falls through, you don't they're get out money whatever back. money they, right. they yeah. paid wow. in. Wow. Was the birth father a factor? No. No. He no. wasn't in the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a situation where we were told, not sure, you know, who the birth mm-hmm. father is. But... Um, you know, legally that was all cleared mm-hmm. so that that was fine. So it, two long months go by. Yes. Right. And what happens? All right. She was supposed to give birth on a Tuesday and she had a, a, like an infection. So the doctor postponed it for a week, the, the birth for a week. So that would have been the, the following Tuesday. So that Friday, the Friday of that week after the initial due date passed a couple of our friends invited us over to their house oh oh a very important part the phone call we get a call i get a phone call from a very angry adoption agent not mine but the birth mothers Mm. saying this is going to fall through this i've Uh. talked to these people i don't trust them i don't believe i mean she just gave me a laundry list where this adoption is not happening and I kept my cool and kept my calm and was just like, I really appreciate you telling me this. Because she's like, I shouldn't be telling you this. Goes on and on about how I'm so sorry, but, you know, I've got to let you know. Um, I, I don't see this happening. This was the agent for the, for the mother. For the birth mother, yes. Who wow. is with the same adoption agency, but mm-hmm. it's her contact instead of our contact calling. Um, and she was actually asking me to go down and meet with the birth mother and take her out and talk to her. And I was like, absolutely not. This is, you know, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know the details. But um, so I was devastated. And I called, you know, a good friend of mine down the street and, you know, bawling, this, is, this isn't happening because she'd been very involved, you know, there for me. Um, so they invited us over to basically forget all your troubles. And yeah, yeah, have, have some Be drinks. Happy. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we, we tie it on. We, you know, we just, uh, we're drinking, we're laughing, you know, and it was a nice release. It was it a was. nice, um, you know, break for us. And the next morning, so the next hungover, morning we get call. Like at 8 a.m., <laughs> the phone pain. rings. I'm like, who the heck is this calling so early on a Saturday morning? And I'm, uh, I'm hungover. And it was the adoption agency telling us. She's like, "Congratulations!" She gave she gave birth this Two morning. Yeah, <laughs> you know, seven a.m. She gave birth, and this was in Harvey, Illinois, that she gave birth. Did you know if it was a boy or a girl? Yeah, she told it, us it, it was okay. a girl. Yeah. Okay. You know. And we knew when we met. That okay. it was yeah, a girl. right. Yeah, she yeah. knew. Yeah. Were you prepared? No. No. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we were. I was thinking it was going to happen on you know uh, coming Tuesday, right? right? So and even in the the broader scheme of things, knowing that it could fall through, we were really hesitant to put a nursery together to yeah. do anything. So we did have a crib and a few things in boxes, mm-hmm. but we really were not prepared for a baby yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so yeah, after uh, getting up, showering, and getting ready, we uh, hightailed it down to Harvey, Illinois, and uh, and met. Your daughter. Our daughter, yeah. And Did was, you guys name her or did someone else name her? We named her. Okay. We named her. She asked, the, the birth mother asked us ahead of time if yeah. we had a name. And it's, you know, the birth mother's right to sign the birth certificate and everything. So she she asked us the spelling, the middle name, everything. And, yeah. Awesome. And, and yeah, so she put it, yeah, she, and she, you know, put that name on, uh, wait, I guess, no, technically she It was her last name. It was Legally, her last it was her name. last name, but it was, right. you know, the name we picked out first and, in the middle. Um, and, uh. And she was there two and a half days in the hospital. 
and so are we. And I think that was one of the strangest experiences. <laughs> well, the first day, we did that Saturday, we they put us in a private room with the baby, mm-hmm. just Erica and me. Okay. And we fed it. We changed it. It. Well, all right. Um, <laughs> and you know, we spent the whole day with, with it was the baby. A great day. Yeah. Did the birth mom have any contact with her? At that time, we were told she had said she didn't want to see the baby. No. Okay. No. Now, so Sunday that's what comes. we're envisioning mm-hmm. when we come down to the hospital the next day. Right. So Sunday, we drive back down there, and she's in the mommy's arms, in, birth mother's arms, oh, oh, in her room. room. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really didn't think anything of it. Erica, I think was. Well, a I could have crumbled that moment. Yeah. Um, but as soon as we got there. The she handed, her, she handed her over to us and said, there you go. And we, we basically, the entire day, we stayed in the birth mom's room. Very little conversation, but I think it was important to her to see us with, at that time, her child. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, she didn't know us, and I'm sure she wanted to, to get a feel for mm-hmm. if she was doing the right thing and who we were. Sure. Um, very little conversation, but it was, it was sweet because it would be... You know, every now and then, out of the blue, she'd just be like, are you going to get her in volleyball? Are you going to get her in dance? You know, just little <laughs> questions yeah. that were really sweet. Yeah. And, and uh, Well, she was in a lot of pain, too. She yeah, was, she'd had a C-section, so mm-hmm. she was in no. pain. Oh, wow. um, but very little conversation. So even then, it was awkward. But the mm-hmm. conversation that we had was valuable, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And, uh, and then, in the state of Illinois, a birth mother has three, three days. days before she is able to sign away her parental rights. So Monday comes, and the uh, hospital wants to discharge the baby, but the mom has to stay because she had a C-section. There was some, you know, they were waiting for her to um, heal a little more, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, before they released her. So they released the baby to us. We, we take the baby home. But she's still not legally. But she's still mm-hmm. not legally ours. So, you know, I don't think either of us really slept that night. I held her the entire yeah. night in my arms. Yeah. I didn't sleep because um, I didn't know. Yeah, and then the next day, in probably the, almost the early evening, her mother came up. My parents came over, and uh, and we got the call that that she signed the, the yeah. paperwork and it was official. Best it was feeling official. in the world. And then Best we, we, we celebrated. I, I got. Uh, Champagne and uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about um, how it how it felt to bond with her? Oh, it was it was almost uh, immediate. I, I I mean I'm I'm looking at the this baby and I, I think in in the past I had always thought about having a boy, a boy that I could wrestle with, that I could uh, you know play ball with, you know football with, and just uh, you know have have a have a son. But when I looked at at my daughter, I it was game over, man, game over. <laughs> and she just, I mean, I was hooked right there. I mean, and I uh, saw it with him. I actually saw it because I would not say that he's a baby person. You know, it's like, oh, there's a baby. Mm. <laughs> you know, not a big deal. And when we got there, I actually had my wall up when we met Gabriella, is her mm-hmm. name, because I thought there's still three days this may not be right. mm-hmm. my child. So I was very, I don't think I bonded true. I, I appreciated that it was a baby and I love babies, mm-hmm. but I was not giving my heart right. yet. You and didn't I want s- your hopes dash or no. anything like that. Right. And I could see that he, that he was giving himself freely and he was the first to hold her, the first to get in the room and look at her and touch her. And, and I was actually admiring 
the way he was doing it and was kind of following his lead, but I think I was going through the motions whereas his was genuine. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just like, okay, he's doing this, so I'll do this. But, and I, I, I loved her, but I didn't feel her yet, yeah. if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Sure. And I, th I think you did. Yeah. I saw it, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, was there any feedback um, from family members? You know, did they, you know, through all IVF, you know, through the... Uh, you know, moment that you guys made a decision to adopt and then actually adopting, you know, what, what, what kind of messages were you getting from family? Well, I'll speak to my side of okay. the family. Um, my dad had passed, but before he passed away and before he had any idea that we had fertility issues, he'd always told me that I should adopt, which I find fascinating now when wow. I look back. Yeah. And what surprises me is he even said, I don't understand why race is a factor. Wow. And the fact that I look wow. back and my dad was very pro, you know. So our listeners and, and just, don't know what race right, you guys are. Right, just to be clear. Okay. Okay. You guys are, are Caucasian. Right. Yes, and right. our, but we have two daughters. Now they're both African-American. Okay. Yes. Okay. And both, both their birth parents are African-American, so okay. they're full. Um, but yeah, uh, and my mother, she was very for it. And, you know, she as soon as we mentioned that we were going to adopt, she would then kind of refer to my dad and how happy your dad would have been, that kind of thing. I think, well, she was never against IVF, but I think she was a lot more excited about us adopting than she ever was about IVF. Mm. And I will yeah. say I was worried about both your parents and my parents because I at least come from a family where you don't talk about race. So I didn't know if they were racist. I didn't think they were, but I, I didn't know. Right. So you're like, would you care for adopting black? <laughs> you know, you kind of slide it in there. And you know, even with my brothers and sisters, I did that and come to realize everybody was 100% okay yeah. with it. Now, did you guys ever have any concerns about the, just the cultural differences? And still you know, do. Still, yeah. I imagine still kind of trying yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. Right, and, and I think one of the things that, that really worked to our favor was that we had talked after we adopted Gabby that we would like to adopt another African-American baby mm -hmm. so that Gabby would have somebody have each other. To, to, that looks like her to grow up with. Because mm -hmm. uh, let's face it, you know, we're out here in you know, Wonder Bread. We're your neighbors, you know this neighborhood. <laughs> Wonder Bread land. White you know, suburbia. Yeah, white suburbia. How here. did that work out for you? <laughs> it, it, it worked out because... The uh, Gabby's birth mom reached out to the agency uh, earlier this year and let them know that she was pregnant again and asked them to ask us if we would adopt this one too. Wow. And we now have a 10-week-old baby girl at home. Yep. <laughs> and, <laughs> and their sisters. And their sisters. And their sisters. And sisters. Yes. We couldn't have, Hollywood couldn't have written this one. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it worked it's out so, so perfectly. It's so beautiful. The story but is I so do, beautiful. I do worry um, about all the answers we're not gonna have for them. I worry, you know, I've, it's just, even though I think it was casual, if, if that's the right way to say it, I've heard the N-word in the park I, when, you know, guys are playing basketball at, you know, just down the street from us. Mm -hmm. I, you hear that and I don't know how qualified I am to make her understand or to help her understand the way a African-American could, an African-American mother or father mm -hmm. who has lived through it and experienced it. So that terrifies me because I don't want to, I don't want to break her spirit. I don't want to mm -hmm. say the wrong thing. And, and I've felt I myself say her there, sorry. really, uh, I, I've, I've heard it too. And, 
and there are times when I've got to control my anger because you know I'll, I'll confront people uh, about it, you know, and, and I don't want to you know, go down that road to you know do something and then I get in trouble. But it, it, it angers me, um, and honestly, I, I see life differently now that I that I'm the father of uh, two African American girls. Race is an issue. Um, in this society mm-hmm. sure. and um, and it's subtle things like I went I went to a Hallmark store in uh, at, at the mall I wanted to get a little figurine for you know a little precious moments mm-hmm. figurine and I'm looking around I don't see all I see are you know white figurines you know so I asked the sales lady I said do you have any you know African American uh, figurines she said no they don't make them I was shocked I had yeah. no I had mm-hmm. no idea I had no idea that, that you couldn't get precious moments in, uh, uh, you know, in, in Hispanic or African American, and and it it shocked me and it saddened me, and I, I think I was you know living in a bubble, mm. you know, and and wow. and and this has really opened my eyes to what people go through on a daily basis. Sure. Well, mm-hmm. and I think that the tough, the really tough stuff is ahead of us because right now. They're two and ten weeks old, mm-hmm. so they're adorable. You know, mm-hmm. little kids are adorable. So you're not—they're not facing what they're going to face when they're preteens, teens, right. and the rest of their life. School, right now, peers. Exactly. Right. right now, almost any white person could look at them and say, "Oh, how cute!" Mm-hmm. You know, even a racist, almost because right. they're little kids. Right. You know. <laughs> well, and I got to say that I, I'm so pleased and, and and so happy with the um, the way that they're treated by other little kids in the neighborhood mm. and mm-hmm. and really kids to show little kids yeah. do not see race they, they, they right. don't see mm-hmm. color right. mm-hmm. and it's just hey you want to play let's play you know they, they hug um you know gabby will go up to you know some of the other girls and and they hug each other and then they play and they chase each other and and what's sweet is they see the difference they recognize it because it's like let me touch your hair or mm. yeah, you know they right. or why is she dark and you're not mm-hmm. But they're not judging by it. Right. They're just right. fascinated, just curious, right. curious right. want to know. Right. Right. Um, it's beautiful. But, yeah, as they get older, it's it scares me. Because all I know is what I read. I'm not black. I don't live it. I don't mm. know. Um, I can assume the worst. I can assume something in the middle. I just don't know. And are there any resources for adoptive parents like, like yourselves to be able to get more information about the cultural differences and maybe to help Gabby understand that as well? There are. I wish I had names on the top of my right. head. Um, the first thing we encountered which helped is we had to take an adoption class. This was before we knew what race of child mm-hmm. we'd be adopting. And it turned out the teacher of the class had an African-American boy and girl. Mm-hmm. So her perspective that she offered uh, was from that direction. And some of her advice we haven't taken. Some we have. <laughs> um, you know, there's... Uh, I guess they call it transracial adoption. There's a lot of books on transracial adoption. Mm-hmm. And there are, if you go to adoption websites, there are actually, what's interesting and strange to me is so many of classes that you see if, you have, if you're white and have African-American children are about how to do their hair. And it's like, well, that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. It's just the tip of the iceberg. One facet. That's the right. one thing you right. can right. teach. Right. The rest right. is more difficult. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there are, um, on adoption websites, there's a lot of resources there, yeah. 
Awesome. Have you run into any negative reactions from people out in the public? Crazily, no. No. Well, okay. th- there was, well, you, but there was the one woman who said, uh, oh. whose child is this or yes, something like that? Yes, where it was on the fence, where her voice and her words said two different things. Uh-huh. She looked. I was in a locker room, and I was wheeling uh, Gabby out in a stroller, and she goes, and whose child may this be? <laughs> and I said, and whom is asking? <laughs> <laughs> but the, she, was a, she was a little old lady, snotty looking little old yeah. lady, and her voice, her word, yeah, her tone of voice said what she was thinking. But no, I, whenever I'm out with, with the girls, it, it's always, uh, I always get uh, compliments on them. It's it's very nice, and and if if I didn't, I'd probably say, "What's wrong with you? you know? <laughs> Don't you see how beautiful my daughters are?" Yeah, I think. You know, I'm I'm over. I'm gonna be the overprotective dad. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think uh, right now, if people are thinking anything, they're not telling us, or they're keeping it to themselves. Because yeah. I actually have not run into anything yet, and we were told actually um, by that woman that you're gonna encounter a lot of strange questions, a lot mm-hmm. of accusatory questions. Um, and maybe as they get older, that'll happen. Or maybe society's changed enough since her kids are now in their 20s. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but no, I can only imagine, you know, as when I think of being adolescent, preteen, high school, you don't tell your parents everything. You don't, right. you know, if you're right. hurt in school, your feelings are hurt. Somebody says something nine times out of 10. I didn't tell my parents because you're almost embarrassed by, you know, the mean thing that was said about you. Right. So that's my biggest fear is what is going to be said to these two girls and that, that is keep racist, it to themselves. That, yeah, that they don't yeah. let me yeah. know. Yeah. Um, that breaks my heart and terrifies me, yeah. So you guys are really pioneers in, in terms of like how you do this and how you let your experience actually change the culture with you, that people that you guys know get to see the world through your guys' eyes and through your daughter's eyes, which is, I think, really cool. And I think we live in a good time for that. I think so. It's so much better than it was, you know, 50 years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I know my mom said something the other day that I loved. Now, granted, she was helping with the new baby, so neither of us had slept in weeks. And I don't know what I said, but I said something referring at the time to Gabby and adoption. And she's like, well, why do people even have to know? And I'm like, mom, she's black. She goes, they know. And she genuinely <laughs> said, I keep forgetting. And it, it really does open your eyes to how, you know, taking racism out of the picture, if you are white and everyone around you is white, you feel, you innately feel the difference when a black person, a Mexican person, anyone is around mm-hmm. because they're, to you, they're different. Right. And whatever stereotypes you have, you may or may not put on them, but there's something in someone different in front of you. Absolutely. But when you have someone different, as you know, in front mm-hmm. of you every day, you don't see that difference. That it's important to everybody else, but that difference goes away. Right. You know, my mom, I would never say is racist, but I would say she was not exposed mm-hmm. in her life. Sure. And has said some things where I just, you know, put my hand on my face like, you can't say that, mom. <laughs> but for her to say, oh my, like she genuinely, she's like, I keep forgetting. Like that That's meant beautiful. so much yeah. to me that right. she sees Gabby and Zoe. She doesn't see their color anymore, yeah. which is awesome. Well, what kind of advice would the two of you give to maybe couples out there that are struggling, you know, through IVF or couples who are trying to answer that question of whether they're going to adopt and kind of going through that that whole challenge and struggles that you guys have gone through? What, what would you tell them? Well, I would 
probably say that there's there's an answer. There there is a way for you to contribute to the life of a of a child um, and and make a difference in a child's life through adoption and and giving them a chance at uh, at having a good life. You know when I when I talked earlier about being angry at God, I really had to you know, I really put my foot in my mouth and had to uh, apologize to mm-hmm. him <laughs> because I didn't realize that there was a a plan and and this is this is just me speaking this is just my faith that that's coming through here and that he had a plan and i being a human didn't see it at the time but looking back now i see it and and i I just wasn't i wasn't patient and it all worked out it can work out and it may seem like you're in a dark place uh may seem helpless but but to just look to the future and uh, and trust that things will work out and really I'm I'm a big proponent of adoption and I, I think that that is uh, there's a lot of children out there who who need a, a good home and need love and I would say kind of two things on that one is if you're even slightly considering it reach out and do a home study home studies take a long time. And as we learned with that first child, part of the problem with the, the one that fell through mm-hmm. is we didn't have a home study done. Now it can take half a year or more. And if a child becomes available and you don't have your home study done, you cannot you adopt can't. that child. Right, right. So it's worth it to just do a home study. Mm-hmm. I think it costs one to $2,000 depending. It's a lot of money, but if you get that done, then should a child come along that you think you want to adopt or a situation comes along, you're ready and you're prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would say, and this is, it kind of goes two different ways. I would say if you're going through IVF and struggling to not blame yourself or to blame your partner. We were in a situation where I think we each blamed ourselves. And I have several friends in similar situations who are blaming, you know, openly that we talk about it. They're blaming their partner. Mm-hmm. And when you're in it, you want to place blame you know, you blamed God, I blamed myself, everybody, mm-hmm. you know, you want to find a reason and, and blame plays into that. Which is a very natural reaction. Absolutely. So. Um, but it can be so destructive. And for me, that's what was putting me in the hole is blaming myself. What's wrong with me? Why, mm-hmm. you know, what am I doing wrong? And I know, you know, other situations where it's, you know, the reverse, but I would say try not to blame yourself. I would say listen to your gut listen to your doctor but listen to your gut and while i am a huge proponent of adoption i'm also ivf did not work for us it has worked for so many people Mm -hmm. but i i can't help but say you can love a child that you did not give birth to yes Mm -hmm. absolutely i've never given birth to a child so i don't know but in my heart of hearts i know it's no different i to me i would i would die for them they are my lifeblood they are my heartbeat you know there's i can't imagine it's any different so i would say you know don't let that stand in your way don't let race stand in your way it's um it's a child it's part of you mm-hmm. they learn from you they become a part of you mm-hmm. yeah and you can you can write your story like we're in a situation where we're in a semi-open adoption you can have closed semi-open open you know you can you can really write the story of what you're willing you know, to do. And I would say, don't be scared to explore the options. 
make sure your partner is 100% on board before you move forward. Mm-hmm. Don't do it because you want to fix don't, that because hole you in your, please you know, some, somebody else. And not be, don't, you don't want to just, you know, oh, I can't have a baby, so I need to do this. Like, you mm-hmm. have to really know and want right. to love this child. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and honestly, the, this whole process has opened my eyes to just how little these fertility doctors actually know. They really because don't. Because they really don't. Because our status after... All those years of IUI and IVF is infertility reason inconclusive. Right. Wow. <laughs> yes. And fact, the last visit we had was him telling us that we should come back and saying, there's no reason you can't have a child. Right. Well, we haven't given up sex. <laughs> so clearly there's a reason. So, so our last question we like to ask couples. What is it the other person does that you know they really love you? For me, it's it's little things. It's getting gas in my car because he knows I hate to do it. <laughs> it's when he asks me to do something. Like he'll say, I forgot to mail the water bill. Will you drop it off? And I'll say, sure. Completely forget. <laughs> and two days later, he's like, you know what's going on? I know I can say oops I forgot and he does it doesn't phase him like he's like yeah okay like it's it's the complete acceptance of my failure <laughs> to do well, and, things and, and I, I would you know I, w- I would say the same thing is that for all my faults she uh, you know she still loves me and she she stands by me and, and uh, this is a small thing but every day when he gets home he still wants to cuddle just a little bit like just mm-hmm. sitting on the couch close or it's just a tiny snuggle or this or that. Like there's, it's the tiny things that let you know you still matter. Eric and Brian, we really want to wholeheartedly thank you for thank joining you. us today on thank Couple you. Synergy. This was wonderful. It was really wonderful to hear your story. Sharing stories has been part of the human experience since the beginning of time. We hope that by you sharing your story, it has enriched your life and the lives of our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for all you listening, if you have any questions or topic suggestions, please feel free to leave a comment or look us up online at couplesynergy.com. Until next time. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian, along with Organizational Director Calvin Javier and Marketing Coordinator Bridget Reese. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.